We just sang a song that included the words, In all I do, I honor you. Is that true in your life or is that a lie? Let's be blunt about it. Is it true or a lie? May that song ring in our hearts, ring in our minds, not just here in this hour, but when we go out. Maybe true in our lives behind the, the closed doors of our homes, whenever school starts again, in our jobs. May everything that we do bring honor to the Lord. And we know that the Lord is to be honored. Why and how? We're going to talk about it today. The Holy Spirit is the one who lives within us. And the Lord, when he died, he didn't stay dead, did he? He rose again. And when he rose, 40 days, 50 days after he rose, he sent the Holy Spirit to us to enable us to live the life that he's called us to live. It's a wonderful thing. Let's pray. Our God and Father, thank you for your Son, our Savior. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who helps us, who intercedes for us with the groanings too deep for words who convicted us of our sin, who regenerated us, who empowers us, who wrote the Torah on our hearts, who gives us a desire to serve and obey you. And Lord, we cannot do without him. We thank you for sending him to us. And we ask God that you would help us to give you honor as we pay attention to what you'd have for us today. Help us, Lord, to practically apply your word to our lives today. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, yesterday, it's no secret that uh, it was 4th of July, right? The boom booms, as we call it, right? Anybody see any fireworks? We heard them from our house. <laughs> but we celebrate the 4th of July, why? Because of Independence Day, it's, we celebrate the independence from the tyrannical rulers that had power over us a long time ago. But I'm afraid, though, after 244 years of attempting to live out what some call the American experiment, we made another declaration of independence from another government, God. We forget or we deliberately ignore the the unalterable fact of life, that God is the ruler, and not just of Christians. He is the only sovereign of all the world and indeed of the universe. Now, this year, 2020, we have seen how panicked we can get with the coronavirus issue and the latest iteration of intense racial tension coming at us in rapid-fire succession to name just two things in the first six months of 2020. What's going to happen in the second half of 2020? To make things worse, there are those who, if they had their way, and quite frankly, there are those who really want to push the agenda to make it their, their business to turn our country, our representative form of Republican, to a socialistic form of government and society. And regardless of what one might think of Rush Limbaugh, <laughs> he spoke truth when he said this. Socialism has failed every time it's been tried. So I ask, why would we want to go there only to try and fail? Do we just want to try at this? And should that happen, what's going to happen afterwards? Now, we've experienced many ills in our country over the years. No doubt about that. But facts are stubborn things, aren't they? 
There is a bedrock foundation upon which our country was founded. It is the principles of the Judeo-Christian ethic. The Supreme Court ruled that we are a Christian nation three times in the history that we're a Christian nation. Did you know that? And we have to understand this in the right context. It's not that as a Christian nation, we're all Christians. We, we get that. Or that a person must be a Christian to hold office. That doesn't mean that's what a Christian nation is. But in Supreme Court Justice Brewer's words in the 1800s, here's what he said. The U.S. is most justly called a Christian nation because Christianity, and I'll add, not Islam, not secularism, not raw power or economics, it's Christianity, has so largely shaped and molded it. That's why we can be considered a Christian nation. Have we drifted? Uh Uh-huh, absolutely. But we were founded on Christianity. There's also no denying that our monuments and our government buildings show a fundamental tie to the bedrock foundation of Christianity. Even the charters in many of our states, to include all three charters of the Virginia Charter, have stated the reason for their and our existence is to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? In our charter, three of them, all three, our purpose is to propagate the gospel. That's why we exist. Now, we used to sing the prayer, America, America, God shed his grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. Today, these words ring increasingly hollow and how we need a revival in our country, how we need the Holy Spirit to bring his conviction of our sin upon our hearts where we're brought to our knees in repentance of sin and wholeheartedly turn back to the only God there is. King David wrote this inspired verse of Scripture millennia ago in Psalm 32, 12. He said, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. That's not just Israel. It's any nation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. It could be us. But the most serious way I can bring this, I'm compelled to say, God does not play with sin. He's eternally, deadly, serious when it comes to sin in all of its manifestations. And though he loves sinners enough to send his son, Jesus, to the cross, just as wonderfully, just as powerfully, God is holy. In his absolute perfection, he will judge sin wherever he finds it. It's just a matter of his timing. And when it's all said and done, all sin will be dealt with in holiness, in righteousness, in perfect justice. It's my prayer that all of us who call grace united their home, and indeed every person in the body of Christ, that when we stand before him on evaluation day, we will hear, well done. Such is my tribute and challenge to all of us who call ourselves Americans, and especially Christians. I just mentioned a moment ago, how we need the Holy Spirit to bring the full weight of his conviction upon our hearts that we may repent of our sin. I also said that we have done a most horrific job in declaring our independence from the only true and living God, and we need to repent before it's eternally too late. 
But now, I want us to turn the corner and think about other things. Happily, those of us who know Christ and whom Christ knows have run to Him for shelter. Can anybody say amen to that? Like pilgrim, we have left the city of destruction and we've cried out, life, life, eternal life. We've gone through the wicked gate, not wicked, wicked gate. Evangelists showed us that. We arrived at the cross of Jesus and the heavy load of sin rolled off our back as we declare Jesus is Lord and that he is our sin bearer. And now we're free. Now we're on our way to the celestial city. But in our 21st century American culture, we repeat the mantra far too often. Jesus and me, just Jesus and me, on my way to heaven. Right? But guess what? It's not just Jesus and me. It's not just Jesus and you. It's Jesus and us, together, corporately. And today, July 5th, 2020, how we need to declare not only our dependence on the Lord for salvation and indeed eternal life, we are also to declare our interdependence on one another. How we need one another in the body of Christ, particularly here at Grace United. And for all who are listening in that cannot be part of Grace United, let me encourage you to find membership and fellowship in church near you. See, when the Lord saved us, he placed us in a worldwide, down-through-the-ages group of people called by various names. He placed us in the church, which means called out once, called out of the world in its ways and into the kingdom of God. See, Paul, writing to the Colossians, made this bold statement about what God has done through us. Though we were in the kingdom of darkness, he delivered us from it and transferred us to the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We now live in the kingdom of God's dear son and he treats us like children. Isn't it a great thing? And among many other word pictures describing this group I'm talking about, one of the most vivid is that of a living, breathing, moving body with many parts. Christ has placed all of us into his body, of which he is the head. It's been well said that in the world, Christians, the church, we're the hands and feet of Jesus. We are visible reminders to the world that there is a God with whom all of us has to do. And as we as Christians live as the Lord would have us live, some of those living outside the body of Christ in the domain of darkness will want to come into the body of Christ. They will want to live in Christ's kingdom. Now we're in the middle of our, miri- of our mini-series in 1 Corinthians, approaching the Lord, discovering how to uh, have him accept our worship. What would be the kinds of things that the Lord would want from our worship experience? That he would say, I want that. I accept that. Our desire is that when we hear from him on that day, that we will hear from him that he accepted our worship. Now, as we know, there were times in the past when God actually told his own people because of their lifestyle, because of the way that they lived, I didn't accept your worship. He's told that through the prophets. And as a son of God, and as your pastor, the very last thing I want to hear on evaluation day is, Glenn, 
July 5th, 2020, I did not accept your worship. That'd be the last thing I want to hear. What about you? Well, today we're going to dive into a topic that ought to bring the body of Christ together. It ought to make us marvel, slack-jawed at God's presence among us in the person of the Holy Spirit. But just like in Paul's day in the first century and down through the centuries to our day, the devil and our own hearts have used a dynamic of spiritual gifts to divide the body of Christ in devastating ways. But this is just the opposite of what God, by his spirit, intended for spiritual gifts to do and to be about. But today our passage is 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 11. So if you don't have your Bible open, please go there. And this week we're going to lay a foundation of three parts as we talk about how the Holy Spirit works among us through this thing called spiritual gifts in the local church. And the first part of our foundation is exactly what is a Christian's relationship to the Holy Spirit in verses 1 to 3. The second part of our foundation is the source of spiritual gifts in the body of Christ, verses 4 to 7. And in verses 8 to 11, we will see the dynamic of the Holy Spirit working through his gifts in the church. So let's read together 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 3. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant in this, he says. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols wherever you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And thus begins yet another topic Paul needs to address regarding the Corinthians, once again, disunity in the church. Now, you know, it's amazing to me that things have not really changed a whole lot in the 2,000 years that the church has been around. Would you agree? That the Corinthians experienced divisions between themselves over the spiritual gifts then. It's the same today. Because on one hand, how many churches do you know about that call themselves charismatic? Pentecostal churches, where they say, we celebrate Jesus. We just have a good time. But on the other hand, how many churches say among, uh, with almost a certain smugness, well, we're not charismatic because we are not given to a lot of emotionalism. And there's a division over spiritual gifts, or at least our understanding of spiritual gifts. So as he does with so many other issues in the Corinthian church, Paul attacks disunity, and this time it's over spiritual gifts. Remember how in the very beginning of this letter that Paul chided the Corinthians for splitting into different groups. We call them the Apollites, or the Apollites, and the Apollosites, and the Cephasites, and the Christites. We said that the Christites were the group that was the most mystical. They bragged about their spirituality. And while those who followed spiritual leaders, like Paul and Peter, and Peter or Cephas, and Apollos, these guys, the Christites, sought Christ through experiences. And they bragged on their spiritual giftedness. They had in their home churches a rocking good time. Ecstatic utterances, interpretations, healings, all kinds of stuff. It was a happening place to be. Now, to be sure, the other house churches experienced 
some of those things as well. But the Christites, now they seem to corner the market on this. And they tended to look down their hyper-spiritual noses at others who did not have their uber-expressive experiences. We'll enter Paul where he sets the record straight. And he tells them all in no uncertain terms. Hey, guys, all of you, all of you at one time or another were held captive to the idols, pagan religions. They could not communicate. They were lifeless. But now all of you who are Christians have something in common. None of you say Jesus is accursed. But all of you say with conviction, Jesus is Lord. In other words, Paul is telling every last Corinthian believer, the Holy Spirit lives in each one of you. So Christites, stop promoting your experiences. You have some cool experiences, no doubt. But everybody in the church has a common bond, and that bond is a profound change that's happened on the inside, brought about by the Holy Spirit. Here, Paul says, is the bottom line. Every person who is in the body of Christ literally has received a gift, the Holy Spirit. He is the gift. He enables every true Christian to make the same confession. Jesus is Lord. It was, from this, it was this from the heart statement that described the follower of Jesus and differentiated one from who wasn't. The one who, who was a follower of Jesus was able to say, by the Spirit, Jesus is Lord. The one who wasn't could not say that from the heart. As one learned author put it, Jesus is Lord was the one audible profession of faith which Paul requires for a would-be Christian, the only sufficient condition for participating in salvation. As Paul writes, if you remember in Romans 10, 9, and 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Remember when Paul entered Corinth? Remember at the beginning of our letter, we talked about this. He knew the gospel would not be accepted among them. He was convinced that the gospel was moronic to the Gentiles, foolishness. And it was something that the Jews would would reject out of hand. But Paul preached anyway. And the Holy Spirit began to convict, and he did his work. And before Paul left Corinth, 18 months later, many were declaring, Jesus is Lord. This profound change came because the Holy Spirit did a profound work in their heart. And as an aside, let me highlight something that we all know we need to be reminded of. When we say that Jesus is Lord, that means Jesus calls all the shots in my life. I'm literally at his feet. I'm at his service. I have experienced a deep change in the deepest recesses of my heart that says yes to his ways. And when Jesus tells me anything, whether it's a true statement or a command, and, and of course, it's from the Scripture, we say to him, yes, Lord. Now, tragically, all of us as Christians, we don't do this all the time, do we? We don't say yes to him all the time. It's tragic. But spiritual maturity means that as time goes on, 
We say yes, Lord, and follow through more times than we say no. Isn't it wonderful when you say yes to the Lord and he blesses you because, and, he, and, and you follow through with these things and, and you feel close to the Lord? Isn't that great? Now, we remember what Jesus said to those who were merely playing around regarding loyalty to him. And again, this is a loyalty issue. This is a loyalty situation, not a perfection issue. It's loyalty to him. He said in Luke 6, 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? See, that's the demand that the Lord places on his disciples. Jesus is not looking for, nor does he desire converts. Did you know that? It's disciples he's looking for. When a person says Jesus is Lord, there will be some, though not perfect, but some change in the heart toward Christ-likeness, a closer following to Jesus. This is how the Christian and others know that the Holy Spirit lives in his or her life. It's the change. It's the going toward Jesus. It's being like Jesus. And this is how he or she knows that he or she is part of the body of Christ. And so Paul rebukes those who tried to place themselves at a little higher level on the totem pole than other believers because they had that spiritual experience that others did not. Basically, Paul says, all of you are charismatic, is what he would say. It means gifted. And that means, concerning the Christites, chill out, guys. The Holy Spirit lives in you just as vibrantly as he lives in all who call Jesus Lord. But how often today do we see advertisements? Do we watch it on the news, or not the news, but on the television programs and online and things like that, of different people traveling all over proclaiming their special anointing, their spiritual giftedness, or even people saying things like, well, you know what? Unless you have the gift of tongues, because that's evidence of salvation, that you're just not saved. People said that. I heard that a couple weeks ago, as a matter of fact. If Paul were here, he would say, chill out. Well, I don't know if he'd say chill out, but you know what I'm talking about. The evidence of salvation is this. Jesus is Lord, where we show that and we tell that in our lives. Not whether we have some kind of ecstatic utterance or not whether we can heal somebody. So what is the relationship of the Christian to the Holy Spirit? Simply this. He works the profound change in their life. Jesus is Lord is the work that the Lord began and the disciple lives out for the rest of his or her days. We follow Jesus because he's Lord and the work that he's done in our hearts not only allows us but compels us to follow him all of our days. The second part of our foundation that we're talking about here is the source and the purpose of spiritual gifts in the body of Christ in verses 4 to 7. So let's read that together. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Notice how profound a statement this is. The Spirit giving gifts. The Lord affording opportunities for service. God the Father empowering 
the gifts given out to every last person in Christ's body. So what's going on here? Why did Paul say that? Precisely because the blessed Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all involved here. This is true unity in diversity. Because as we know, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Son or the Father. But all three are one God. In the same way, there is unity in diversity in God's distribution of gifts. Unity because the source of spiritual manifestation is God. There's only one source. And diversity because of the variety of gifts given to all Christians. And notice as well, if you, see, if you saw this, that there's not one person more favored than the other. Did you catch that? The very word gift has its source in something graciously given. It is literally a gift of grace. There's something else as well in verse 7. The manifestation. That's singular. Singular. Not multiple manifestations. In other words, there is equal distribution of it, of the one manifestation. The point here is that, that there is not only room for every believer, every Christian in the body of Christ, to serve one another, but on the other hand, when a brother or sister is not in his or her place, Serving, there's a hole. On any sports team, I wish Don was here, he'd, he'd say amen to this. There are a certain number of players on the field or on the court. But now what happens when all of a sudden two players of the basketball team fail to show up? They're not there. And no one replaces them. Even if one of the three remaining players is the star, who is at a disadvantage now? And we know this. Now, I understand that every analogy breaks down, including this one. And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is infinitely more capable of manifesting himself without us. Would you agree to that? He can do this. But with that said, with that said though, when God's people are missing in the fellowship, on at least one level, there is a weakness. There is a vulnerability. Because no one is like anyone else. We're all unique, aren't we? Some people are saying, thank God for that. The manifestation of the Spirit works through each one of us uniquely. The manifestation. All of us are to contribute to the body. In other words, even those who fancy themselves as spiritual superstars, they cannot do things alone, can they? They have the manifestation of the Spirit. You have the manifestation of the Spirit. I have the manifestation of the Spirit. And it's true here at Grace United would you agree with that? See, over the, over the years that we've been Grace United, isn't it great to say over the years? Kind of cool, isn't it? I've been out for several reasons and several, several things. I remember one time I was suddenly not able to come on a Sunday because I got sick on Saturday night. You remember that time? What happened? Took over. So what happened? Nothing changed. Nothing changed. The Lord still worked. Everybody stepped forward, and they helped. And we did not miss a beat, or you didn't miss a beat. <laughs> now, we weren't playing at full strength, that's true, but the job got done. So the point here is twofold. No one is indispensable, and everyone is needed. Because the one who distributes the gifts creates opportunities for service 
and empowers the working of the gifts to produce. The manifestation in us is God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But he does his work. But he works through us individually. And the more avenues through which he works, the more his glory shines. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? It's like a cracked pot with a bright light on the inside. Get the picture? A few cracks in this pot will yield only a few rays of light. But with many cracks, at least hoping it doesn't break apart, that there'll be many rays of light. And so consider the times when we assemble here that each one of us is a crack in the pot. And the more we are here and the more people, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, minister to one another, the more God's glory shines. Now, I can kind of see it's a pretty good analogy. How many of us are not broken in some place? All of us are broken. All of us are a crack. And God can use it. God can glorify himself through us. That's his purpose. But why is the manifestation given to each Christian in the congregation? It is for the common good equally. The manifestation is not given to anybody as a means to say, hey, look how blessed I am. Hey, guys, hey, see, God has blessed me so good. It's great. No. When each of us shows the manifestation of the Spirit, it is the Lord who works through us. And when that happens, all of us are built up. And when that happens, when we're built up, what does that work toward? Unity. Again, remember why Paul addressed this. There were some who were beating their spiritual chests and using their manifestations as a means to say what? Guys, look at me. Look how much God's blessed me. I've got a greater gift here than you. So foundation part one, Jesus is Lord in the life of the Christian. And this is the telltale sign of salvation. The Lord begins the work and the disciple lives out his or her discipleship for the rest of his or her days. Foundation two, the source of spiritual gifts is given to the body of Christ. And that's God himself, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit doing this. He's given the manifestation to each disciple for the common good, that his glory might shine in the church. Well, part three is found in verses 8 to 11, where we will see the dynamic of the Holy Spirit working through his gifts in the church. So let's read that. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by the one and same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. That's a mouthful. It's quite the list. All of these miracles. All of these gifts. Now, time fails us to even go into any kind of detail at all, but let me just give you a brief, brief definition of each one. Message of wisdom. Supernatural ability to give guidance for dealing with a challenging circumstance in the life of a Christian. Knowledge. Supernatural insights 
regarding the scripture. Faith, supernatural confidence in God's saving power and presence that he will glorify his name in difficult circumstances. Healing, a supernatural privilege of being the recipient or the channel of miraculous healings. We've seen that here, haven't we? Miracles, a supernatural privilege of serving as a channel to display God's special powers to show who he is in extraordinary times. Prophecy, supernatural ability to communicate God's message directly related to the special needs and issues of his people. Discerning of spirits, a supernatural ability to know the origin of a prophetic message, whether it's from the evil one or whether it's from the Lord. Speaking in tongues, a supernatural ability to speak in unlearned human languages. Interpretation of tongues, a supernatural ability to translate or interpret what was said through the gift of tongues. Again, quite the list, but it begs the question, have we experienced any of this in corporate worship here? Or very rarely have we? Why is that? How come? And, and what about so many other churches in our world today? Have they experienced these kinds of things? And I say, why? Why is this the case? Well, the simple but seemingly disappointing answer is found in verse 11. The Spirit of God apportions individually as He wills. In other words, it's up to the Spirit of God as to who gets which manifestation. And I found interesting that at least in one source, the author tells the reader that he doubted that the Christians in Corinth had experienced all of these manifestations. The reasoning he gave is probably because the Corinthians so highly valued the speaking in tongues gift that he was kind of showing or throwing things in there to, to humble them. It's as if like, so Christites, you think that you've got a good gift? Well, you haven't seen anything until you have experienced actual miracles. Now, that's conjecture, yes. We, you know, Paul is, is not unknown to speak kind of snarky things at times, right, to the people. To kind of like, you know, use absurdity to highlight absurdity. Sort of like Jesus when he speaks hyperbolic statements like, you know, gouging out eyes and chopping off hands to avoid sin. You know, does he expect us to do that? In that's the case, we only get two chances, right? That's not what he's talking about. We know this. But the bottom line for the wise and wherefores of the Spirit's distribution of his gifts is summed up this way. The Spirit of God decides what's best for a congregation's needs. The manifestations that are not needed are not distributed. And by the way, when we read all these gifts and there are other lists of gifts in different parts of Scripture, these are not exhaustive. These are not the only ones that there, that there is. There are many others. You know, these gifts are as infinite as God is. So let's keep that in mind. Now, it seems though that Paul has placed speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues at the bottom of the list to kind of humble them and kind of to to knock down the high importance that the Christite group had in their manifestations. If you read 1 Corinthians, if you know the Scripture, you know that chapter 14, the entire chapter is going to be uh, dedicated to this Misuse, as it were, of the gift of tongues. 
But before I seek to apply this passage to our lives today and how it relates to our corporate worship, let me put a point on something that we really need to remember and never forget when it comes to a spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts can be counterfeited. And much damage to the church can be result if we're not very careful. This calls for wisdom and understanding here. See, Paul prayed for the Philippians in Philippians 1, 9 to 11, that their love would abound in more and more in knowledge and depth of in, in discernment so that they may approve what is excellent, so they may be blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ to the glory and praise of God. And I'll never forget a story that, that Kitty and I heard long, 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 long time ago when we were in Denver, right after we got married. That was a long time ago. We talked to a young man who hated the church. For some reason, he hated the church. But he had a special ability. He spoke fluent Russian. So he went to a church. He went in there, and he stood up, and he spoke in tongues. And he spoke different things. And somebody stood up and interpreted. Gave a lot of encouragement to them is what this interpreter thought as uh, he spoke. But the one speaking the Russian was enraged. Here's what I said is what he said to them. And he told us curse after curse after curse upon the church. But the Christians thought he was blessing them. The point here is what we call spiritual manifestations, they can be misunderstood. They can be counterfeited. They can be manipulated. They can even come from evil forces, evil spirits. But as we'll see in a couple of weeks, when we go through chapter 13, those spiritual gifts can be counterfeited. Spiritual fruit cannot So what do we do with this message today? First, as Christians, we are all charismatics. All of us are gifted with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables us to say and to live out the earliest Christian creed, as it were. Statement of faith. Jesus is Lord. If the Holy Spirit lives in you, and he does, you know Christ is your Lord and Savior. Let the world know that Jesus indeed is your Lord. Second, let's get really practical. Now, I was thinking about this, and yes, many of us are doing so much, probably (laughs) too much, I don't know. But for those who are kind of sitting on the sidelines, the few of you, let's listen. See, when we come together on Sunday mornings, it's not just about hearing a sermon. Long, short, more long than ever, uh, good, bad, or indifferent. It's not about the sermon. It's about offering the Lord worship which has its expression by how we sing and pray, listen, give our offering, but also how to reach our brother or sister and deepen our relationship with him or her. As we learn today, the Spirit has given each of us the manifestation. We need to express it. We do things during the worship service that are standard for us, like open worship and singing and prayer and hopefully actively listening to the message through God's word. But what about personally during the service as in an offering of a word of praise? Or what about living with the realization, as we said a couple of weeks ago, that we have visitors here, we have guests here, who are they? 
They're angels. Angels right now are with us. Isn't amazing? Or what about deliberately pouring yourself out in prayer? Not just going through the motions and abandoning, abandoning yourself when you sing. Or just as important, preparing yourself when you come here, before you come, that you're going to endeavor to jump in and meet a need, wherever that need may be. Or about getting out of your comfort zone and speaking to others and becoming curious about those that you don't know and then getting to know them. Or what about engaging in prayer for that person, either before the service or after? Or when you detect that there's a need that you can meet, that you would actually meet that need? Let's remember that no gift is more important than another. And some of these gifts really have to do with our obedience. See, though I have a teaching gift that's most prominent, that doesn't mean that you don't have a teaching gift. See, what did Jesus say to each one of us? Part of our discipleship responsibility is to do what? Teach believers, teach disciples to be more like Jesus. Each one of us are charged by the Lord with teaching. Some have hearts who are more tender and more emotionally driven than others. But that does not mean that they're the only ones who weep with those who weep. Scripture commands all of us to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. Some have the gift of giving. That's a spiritual gift. But what if only those with the gift gave? Where would we be in corporate worship? We'd be in a different place, I can tell you right now. Some have the gift of evangelism. You met those kinds of people, right? They can witness to the neighborhood dog and get him saved. But Paul tells Timothy something. He says, do the work of an evangelist. But Timothy was timid. No matter, Paul still tells Timothy to do evangelism. See, the Lord tells all of us to preach the gospel. Isn't that true? All of us have the privilege to preach, even if we don't think we have the gift. The bottom line is that we don't have an excuse, do we? To not give ourselves in service to the Lord by serving others. And all we need to do is to make sure that our motive reflects something like this. I want to show Jesus that I love him by serving you. That's all it is. I love Jesus and I want to show it by serving you. Pretty simple, isn't it? So as we close this message, my challenge to all of us is to consider the words of singer and songwriter Keith Green. I considered him a musical prophet in his day. He went home to be with Jesus about 40 years ago. But before I quote the lyrics, I need to point out that this song is decades old. He uses the word rainbow in here. Now, we think of rainbow in our day. It's a little bit different than what he thought, okay, and how he used it. And so here's the lyrics to his song, When There's Love. He says, take some time. Make the friend, make a friend of a stranger. Touch a hand, just reach out. There's no danger. When there's love, mountains move. The blind can see and things improve. Don't be afraid to take the lead and be the first to plant a seed. And then just watch it grow. Don't you know? Take some time. Tell someone that you love them. Make them feel there's a rainbow above them. When there's love, storms will cease, and those in chains will be released. There's not a thing that love can't do. Why? Because God is love. But it's got to start with me and you, and then just watch it grow. Don't you know? When there's love, 
you can't lose. You always know which road to choose. There's not one thing that love can't do, but it's got to start with me and you. And then just watch it grow. Don't you know? Let's pray. Our God, thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for his ministry in our lives. Thank you for the encouragement and the challenge that we have received from you today. I pray that you'll help us to just reach out. Lord, you have given us the manifestation individually. Help us, Lord, to, to, to let you out, so to speak, as we serve one another. I thank you now, Lord, for, for this time that we can uh, have our final song, that we can have another opportunity to give you worship that you will accept. Lord, as, also as we give of our giving, I pray that our giving might be acceptable in your sight as well. Pray that you'll take these monies, help us to use these monies in ways that are full of integrity, that we might advance your gospel of the kingdom here and around the world. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.